G'day everyone. Welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast. I'm Rita Joyan. Today I've got a guest who has very much intrigued me. In fact, I had to go and chase him to find where he was in the world because he travels so much. And right now he's with us live from Spain. It's 1.30am in the morning and he's been so generous with his time to, <laughs> to give us this opportunity to interview him. And I have with me Ramis Kent. And get this, okay? If you've studied or have had a very traditional school, university, work, lifestyle, Ramis has had the same thing. He was a mechanical engineer turned permaculture expert. He's the founder and director of Agroecological Natural Tech Systems. We're going to find out what on earth that is. He's involved in the design and development of Mazda City in the UAE. He's taught permaculture design formal certification and design courses in Greece, Turkey, Palestine, Occupied West Bank, Morocco, Australia, USA, Malaysia, Thailand, and so on and so forth. What's interesting, guys, is how does someone turn an interest, something like permaculture, into a profession and create that into a passion in itself? Ramis, welcome to Unbox Your Gift. Thank you for having me, Rita. Really well, appreciate you inviting me to speak. Thank you, sir. And 1.30 a.m. in the morning, you are a true trooper. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this, is actually, this is actually still, still quite early, uh, believe it or not. I'm, my, my, my clock is thrown off uh, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty well, so I, I might be up for another couple hours for all I know. Oh, oh, good, good. So you'll still be up and at them with us. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, Ramis, I want to take, take you back to the very beginning of how it all started for our listeners. Tell me, why did you choose... You go to school, you choose mechanical engineering. Why did you choose mechanical engineering? Um, I, th I think, you know, a lot of people that choose engineering usually start off having, I think, you know, somewhat of a, of a passing interest in either airplanes or, uh, or, or cars. <laughs> and I think early on, um, that's, I think that's where it started for me. Um, and I think part of my declaring engineering as a major um, when it came time for me to, to go to college was, uh, or, to, or to actually declare a school that I was going to, to um, you know, to, to go to. I think there was also an awareness that because of the nature of the curriculum is pretty broad, um, it, it would at least leave some options open for me if I didn't want to do engineering work. So um, as, uh, as strange as it may sound, I think choosing engineering as a major was about, was also about not being very clear about what it was that I wanted to do, okay. um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I, but I, I felt as though that kind of curriculum would serve me well because there were, there were a number of skills that had to be employed, or at least that would be developed in the course of going through, um, you know, to get an engineering degree. Okay, so it was a safety net in case you didn't like it. There was a lot of opportunities available to you. I yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, my, um, my, you know, my, my mother was a, was a biology teacher in high school mm -hmm. for 33 years. Wow. And um, I think, you know, being the child of someone who had a, a background in, uh, science. Um, I always had a, a, a great deal of respect for uh, my mother's um, 
mind in that in, in that regard. Um, I like the fact that she she had some command of uh, of a science, and I, I thought that you know sort of would reflect well. And um, you know, she, she had also thought that you know even after declaring engineering as a you know as a focus, that it, it would also allow for the possibility of maybe even going to teaching, going into teaching uh, later on, which I did eventually for a couple of years, um, just to um, just to satisfy my curiosity mm -hmm. um, about, you know, about what that, you know, could possibly uh, do for me. And also, I think she, you know, she also felt that, that it was something that I should try. Okay. But um, just generally speaking, I think, you know, engineering was a good choice because it, it was just, uh, it was a very uh, broad, um, open-ended uh, kind of profession where there are lots of different things I could do if I, if I, if I chose. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. It's like my friends who study law. They chose law because just in case nothing else right. works out, law is going right. to opportunities. All right. So it's the same with mechanical engineering. So tell me, how did this interest in permaculture, first of all, what is permaculture? <laughs> well, we're going to have a whole show about that. <laughs> um, yeah, per, well, depending on who you talk to, they'll give you any, any number of, of, um, of, of definitions. But, you know, permaculture is is really um, rooted in, in attempting to address sort of the persistent problems of human history. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at the word permaculture, it's really the, the, the melding of, of two words, permanent and agriculture, or permanent and culture. And the idea was that if you could create a permanence in agriculture, you could create a permanence in human culture because um, history has really been driven by the, the development of agriculture and sort of the implications of what came from that. So, um, you know, roughly seven to 10,000 years ago, depending on um, what, uh, whose historical account or whose research you're looking at, um, you know, agriculture had far-reaching uh, impacts in how human beings uh, sort of made a life for themselves. And uh, eventually it, it led to the, the emergence of sort of the modern nation, uh, nation state. Uh, it led to people being sedentary as opposed to itinerant popu populations, but that also led to uh, the, the emergence of most of the chronic problems that have plagued human beings on this planet <laughs> for, um, you know, for most of the, you know, the last uh, several millennia. So, you know, everything from uh, famine to environmental destruction to, um, you know, chronic uh, human degenerative disorders as far as the health is concerned, mm -hmm. it to wealth, wealth inequality, gender inequality, um, warfare, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, it led to the development of standing armies. So all, all of these things, um, you know, a part and parcel of, of what came with the, the emergence of agriculture, the development of agriculture. So, uh, you know, Bill Mollison, who is, you know, he's originally from Tasmania, um, he developed uh, this uh, design system along with a gentleman named David Holmgren, where they wanted to look at sort of the best of what had come before in the past, you know, everything, you know, by taking elements of indigenous knowledge um, and then looking at, you know, modern developments in terms of technologies, appropriate technologies um, and science and being able to explain 
or articulate those things about the older systems that you know had long you know long term stability and longevity. Um, and and a lot of this is really based on observations of nature, and and just being able to create systems that mimic how nature functions because that's really like the best uh, model we have to base uh, you know what we and what we would like to provide ourselves with. It's the best model we have to base it on. So, so if we could break that down, Ramis. If we could break that down. So you're saying permaculture is two words, permanent culture, by redesigning the agricultural space, we are yeah. our culture is executed? Yeah, basically the idea is if you can create a permanence in agriculture, you can create a permanence in human culture. Really? Meaning that, that, that that's, the, that's the basic idea. Because, because it's... it's by, can you give me an example of how that operates? All right, well, if you, if you look at... at um, there are a number of books that kind of lay out um, an examination of human history, sort of human uh, historic surveys mm -hmm. of, you know, how civilizations have developed, how they've risen and, and, they've, and they've fallen. Um, and one of the things you, you'll, um, you'll get out is that um, there, there are certain modes of failure that appear over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. and, and the most common are connected to some sort of mismanagement of uh, the environment or of a given resource base that has allowed for a civilization to actually exist. So this has happened again, you know, from anywhere from 10 to, to, to 30 civilizations have met their end as a result of this inability to negotiate a relationship with you know, with, uh, with natural systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, if you look at the accounts of, say, people like uh, Jared Diamond, he wrote a book called Collapse, How Societies Choose to Fail to Succeed. Um, he wrote that book about uh, not quite 15 years ago. Um, the, you know, the top three modes of failure, you know, he identifies, and there are other people who have also identified these same uh, failure modes. There's deforestation and habitat destruction, mm -hmm. um, soil, soil problems, which would include uh, problems with soil salting, soil erosion, loss of fertility, and water management problems. Mm. Uh, you know what you what you really come to discover when you look at that, you know at that that list long enough is that they're not three different problems; they're the same problem. It's just that each problem, each preceding problem, is the logical conclusion um, from what came you know before it. Okay. okay. Um, or I should say each, or I should say each problem that you'll see, you know, going from the bottom, water management problems on back, right? The each preceding failure mode is what would one would expect. Mm -hmm. So if you can if you can design your way out of making the same mistakes, mm -hmm. then you may have the potential to actually create okay. sort of more longevity mm -hmm. or better outcomes mm -hmm. um, for human cultures for human civilizations. Gotcha. Because you've yeah, because you basically you've avoided making the same, the same mistakes as we've as we've seen historically. Gotcha. So this is so permaculture. You said was uh, invented by two Tasmanians or two Australians. So this is something mm -hmm. that's been around for how long? Um, probably since the, the, the it really began in the early seventies. Okay. And I think the first the first books had been published in the late seventies seventy eight seventy nine. Okay. And the first course was taught 
in uh, the early 80s. I believe the first course was taught in 1981. Wow. That's and, and, yeah, so, so, you know, it's, it's, it's getting on to, you know, 40, what, 45 okay. years old, probably from, from the time of its inception, thereabouts. So how does someone like Ramis, who's a mechanical engineer, and who did that as a safety net in case he didn't like it, how did he get involved in the thing called permaculture? Well, yes, yes, that's a bit of a, that's, that's a bit of a journey. Um, you know, my first, my first job out of college um, was working for this guy named Dean Kamen. Mm. And so Dean, Dean is the guy who invented the Segway. Yeah. Right. So I, I worked for Dean actually before the Segway came out. Um, as, as a matter of fact, I remember seeing, you know, some of the first drawings, like the first illustrations. Wow. And the test and the test parts that used to be, you know, mocked up in the, in, the, in the machine shop. Yeah, so that was you know that was interesting. So I worked for Dean for about two and a half years, and in uh, in New England and in, uh, in New Hampshire. Mm. But I got I got tired of winter, and uh, <laughs> you know it was thought it was it would be nice to be somewhere else. And unfortunately, a former colleague of mine had. Uh, given my name to a headhunter who uh, was in California and uh, they gave me a call about a job that was out there. And um, I eventually ended up moving to California in, in the summer of 97. Okay. And I worked on, you know, in a couple of different companies, startup companies to, you know, ranging anywhere from uh, semi-implantable medical devices, uh, did, you know, R&D work on, on, uh, on, on medical devices, I did a year of aerospace. Got tired of working in an office. Mm. Um, knew I really didn't knew I really didn't want to do that work. Um, and then sort of maybe bounced around here and there, little stopgap jobs. I taught high school for a couple of years. Um, I did sales for you know a number of uh, uh, companies. Um, you know any anything from juice companies, kind of like health food companies, to um, outdoor sporting goods companies like Mountain Hardware, mm -hmm. and I worked on a tugboat for six months. Wow! Um, which was actually that might be one of the that's one of the best jobs I ever had was working on a tugboat because it was just um, it just sort of gave you this sense of the the bigness mm -hmm. of the world in a way, um, and and I and I did that work after um, teaching high school. I taught algebra and physics for two years in uh, Oakland Unified School District. Wow. in California um so that you know that the working on the boat kind of uh got that stuff out of my system you know the, just the you know the chat the challenges of teaching in Oakland Unified yeah and it was actually it was it was during the time that kind of I was doing some of these different jobs that I had a uh, an old friend of mine um who was uh, connected to the Zaytuna Institute community community in, in California um, he had asked me to, to, to be an administrator for the for, for the first uh, summer Arabic intensive uh, held at Zaytuna Institute so this is before the college started so I've not so I, I became Muslim through that that community in 1999 oh, really? so I've known I've, yeah so I know I've known Sheikh Hamza you know Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and and um, Hatim Bazian and Imam Zaid I've known them for, you know, it's, it's been 18, uh, 19 years. Whatever. So they're, old, they're like, they're like family. 
So uh, Hatim had asked me to be uh, an administrator for the Arabic intensive. And it was actually at that first uh, Arabic intensive in 2008 that I met someone who worked for, um, you know, the, arguably the most high profile permaculture person in the world now is um, uh, Jeff Lawton. Okay. So, so Jeff is, he's Australian. He's originally from the UK, but um, he's been living in Northeast to South Wales for, mm. I don't know, probably since the seventies. And um, this, this sister used to um, work for them mm. for about three years. And in the course of talking to her, she asked me, you know, well, do you know what permaculture is? And I'm like, the heck is that? Yeah. I'd never heard of that before in my life. She's like, you don't know what permaculture is? I was like, no, should I? <laughs> and she, uh, she proceeded to show me um, a film called Greening the Desert. <clears throat> and it was the, Greening the Desert, yes. And it was like sort of a stop animation, stop animation film right. about a project that um, Jeff and his wife Nadia had been um, working on in uh, in the Dead Sea Valley oh. in uh, Jordan. Wow. So, so I, I, you know, so I watched this film. It was probably I don't know five minutes, and uh, I, 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 I said I, I have to, I got, I have to do that. And it seemed to combine a lot of you know my interests. Wow. Um, you know, there was there was an aspect of you know, the engineering thing and the science thing and the, you know, and the, and the sort of the being outside and the traveling thing and helping people and, you know, trying to address a, a real problem, mm. you know, a real need. Um, it just pushed all my buttons. Mm. And at the time, um, apparently Jeff was, had plans to come to the Bay Area. Oh. Um, I think it was somewhere within the, like the, a week or two of my seeing this film. So I, I said, well, we got, we, we, you know, can we go see him? She said, yeah. So we went to go um, to one of the events that he was booked to appear and speak at. And um, we went with a small group and uh, in talking to him, I found out he knew an old friend. And if you knew who this friend was, you would, you know, how, like, how unusual it would be for him to know this person Wow. You know, I kind of took it as, as something of an omen. Oh. So, um, so I told him, uh, I, need to, I need to come study with you. And he said, yeah, just come on down. So that was in summer of 08. So uh, by February of 09, mm -hmm. I went ahead and made my plans to go down and uh, study with him. And it was, it was during that time that I was able to take my permaculture design certification course and about four other courses right right pretty much back to back to back to back and I also interned for him for about three months and during that time I had a chance to participate in helping him with a couple of consultancies one of which happened to be Mazdar City okay. and uh and then that that was that that sealed it for me I just knew this is what I want to do I'm not quite sure how I'm going to make it work <laughs> But this is, but this is what I want to do. So I told. Wow. So I told Jeff. I told Jeff the night that I left the farm, Zaytuna Farm in the in the Shannon. 
um, I said, we're going to start an industry. And, um, you know, Remy just looked at me, just like he kind of smiled and laughed. I was like, we're going to do it. And I was like, okay. So I left and then drove off to Brisbane and flew back to California. And that was, uh, that was, that was uh, first half of 2009. Huh? Um, that, that was, that, yeah, summer 2009. So that's, I've been at it ever since. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So forget about starting a new career. It's like, we're going to create an industry. <laughs> Talk about yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty, it's been pretty mad, but it's, it's also been, um, I really can't see myself doing anything else because I just don't, I don't see there really being that much else worth doing. Um, wow. So, wow. so, you know, since, since, you know, since, you know, my, my introduction in 09, I'm, I am now a, a co-director along with Jeff of the organization he started called the Permaculture Research Institute. Right. So, and, uh, and then I've also uh, since uh, kind of created my own little business, you know, uh, consultancy uh, called Agroecological Natural Technology Systems. Okay, so or that's, yeah. The, so that's a consultancy that you run. Yeah, that's 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 my own okay. sort of entity that that I that I operate. Okay. So okay. So let me just rewind a little bit. You come out of mechanical engineering. You go into some jobs here and there. You watch. You go into Zaytuna Institute, which is not the college yet. Someone recommends greening the desert. You watch this five-minute movie. You realize that there is a calling on a journey. You go and see the speaker who's behind this movie, and on the spot you decide, I need to come and study with you. You yeah. fly out to Australia, you study the certification, the permaculture certification, and a few more. You intern, and now you know for sure this is it. This is, this is your thing. Yeah, that's, 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 that's about it. That's about <laughs> and, then, and then you say, we're not going to just do anything. We're going to create a new industry. And you have because... You've taken this certification and you've taught it globally, like Yemen, Turkey, Greece, Palestine, Occupied West Bank, Morocco, Australia, USA. I mean, you've gone. How did you create the, the need for people to say, yep, come and teach us? Um, you know, that, I think it's just one of those, those things where you have a, a certain you have to have a certain amount of faith mm -hmm. that if this is for you, mm. it will, it will somehow be facilitated. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, the first course I taught was on the East side of Detroit in April, 2010. And the course after your certification, that was like literally the following year, okay, all right. Probably, that was probably a year, a, within about a year of me finishing my course okay. right. or doing those courses. Mm -hmm. um, the the I, so the, I got I got the I got the referral from Jeff. So mm -hmm. you know Jeff had uh, had some guy contact him about wanting him to come out to teach, and he said that he he wasn't really able to make much sense out of him. And he said, well, you know, maybe it might be something good for you to do. And um, so I, I went ahead and, and got in touch with him and uh, had a little back and forth. He seemed to be reasonable enough at the time. 
at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and I asked Jeff, I said, you know, what do you think I should do? And he said, yeah, I think you should do it. You know, I think, you know, see, see, if, see if you can turn it into something. And, um, that, you know, and I figured I, if I'm going to do this, I have to start somewhere. Mm. And that was, that was where it began was that first course in Detroit. And, and um, find out about it. Well, I, you know, I think it's like anything else, you know, you, the more people you have an opportunity to meet, um, the more of a, the higher the probability that you're, you're likely going to find another opportunity. Okay. So that was, that was just my attitude was I'm, I'm just going to keep going and, and, and seeing where this leads me until I hit a dead end. Okay. And um, that, that, that is quite literally the, the philosophy or the approach that I've been taking wow. is when, when the doors stop opening mm. or when people um, no longer ask me mm. to uh, come somewhere, then, you know, I'll just, I'll just take that as a sign that maybe there's something else I should be doing. Okay. So, Every, every course, every contact, every event um, that, that I've been able to uh, have an opportunity to go to has, has led to kind of the next thing, the next gig, whether it's a course or a consultancy or, um, you know, uh, again, a meeting with someone, you know, wanting to discuss the possibility of a project. Um, that's, that's quite literally, you know, what that's the only thing that, that I've been using as kind of my, kind of my guiding principle okay. is um, I don't, I don't go anywhere unless I'm invited. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't go anywhere unless, unless someone, Has, you know, they call me, Hey, you know, do you mind coming? Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't do a hard sell. Yeah, yeah, I'm not out there. I, I'm not out there like promoting you're myself. Not, no. no, you're not because mm -hmm. I couldn't find anything about any of your promotions. Like there was, there is nothing online about you promoting Permacut, like there's nothing. I just, like, okay, that's why I was intrigued. How do people find out about you? But you're just saying it's word of mouth, the networks that you've built on. Yeah, it, it's, it, that's, that's, yeah, that's it. It's word of mouth. Okay. And may I ask for our audience, is that, in your opinion, is that a safe way to go about things? Or is it just because you have created, you are in this niche industry that's given the opportunity to be word of mouth? Like, would you recommend yeah, I, anything? Yeah, I want to just like put out a disclaimer. I'm not suggesting anybody do what I did. Okay. okay. Uh, that's not what I'm, yeah, I don't want anybody like just, you know, throw caution to the wind and just be like, oh, I'm going to go do this. You know, that's not what I'm, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that at all. You know, this, there probably is a better way to go about doing it. Okay. Um, but just this was, you know, especially if you have like a family, you know, mm -hmm. like I do. Um, Good. So uh, a very understanding one, mm -hmm. um, I, but I just, I just thought if, if, if there was the, the remote, even the, the most remote possibility that something might come from this, that, you know, I, I have to, I have to make an attempt and, um, and I don't, I didn't want to be the person that was saying to themselves, I could have, I should have, I would have, mm -hmm. you know, fill in the blank. Um, I just felt like if, if this had any chance of meeting with uh, any semblance of success, that I had to give it an honest, 
you know, an honest go. And, um, and that's the, you know, that's what I've tried to do. You know, the, the whole kind of go hard or go home. Yeah. And, and you know, that, and that's, that's, that's the way I've tried to go about doing this. Has it been more work than what you anticipated? Well, the work has definitely been more interesting and varied than anything I could have imagined before doing this. Okay. So I've done stuff for, you know, the United Nations. Um, you know, right now, PRI, Permaculture Research Institute, is a, an approved or an accredited uh, civil service organization with a couple of UN agencies. Right. One of them's one of them's the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification. Uh, the other is the United Nations uh, Climate Technology Center and Network. Uh, I've done work for governments. Um, you know, I did a thing with the, the Turkish Ministry of Agriculture, you know, a, a handful of months ago. I've done something for the Saudi Ministry of the Environment. Uh, we've done things for, you know, certain government entities in, uh, in Yemen. Uh, you know, I've, I've yeah. worked for, for NGOs, nonprofits. Uh, Work, I've worked with with you know pri with companies, uh, uh, commercial companies like uh, Lush. Oh, and I've just gone I to all of these. Lush. I love Lush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've, I've done work for them. Wow. Uh, it's it's been pretty varied, uh, and I think that's the that's the great thing is the it's the variety. Mm. Um, but I but also, um, I think I have a pretty you know I'm very intentional in in terms of the the, the work that. Uh, I, I, I've kind of, been, I've, I've been trying to do or been wanting to focus on, because um, so most of the areas that I work in uh, are within what would be characterized as sort of dry, uh, arid climates, places that have undergone uh, sort of a long, protracted uh, land degradation, um, and so obviously this is going to have impacts on prospects for human security and, and stability with, you know, in terms of food and water. Um, and I just think that this is, this is something, you know, permaculture and other um, regenerative sciences or regenerative design systems can address those problems in a very definitive way, mm -hmm. um, actually providing solutions as opposed to ways of managing those problems. I love that. Yeah. So I think a, a lot of, you know, a lot of my motivation behind doing this is really out of a, I think, a concern for people. Um, and, 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 and I think in all of the things that I've, I've found myself involved in, in terms of my work, uh, or just generally speaking, I think there's always been some degree of concern for the well-being of people. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, and so outside of, you know, this being a way of, making a living or trying to make a, make a living it's also been uh something of a of a way of being able to, to do uh provide service yeah you know um and i think probably you know one of the more interesting uh i probably i guess one of my prouder moments recently was i had a chance to go back to zaytuna um just about a month and a half ago mm -hmm. this time to zaytuna college and I taught, I taught a permaculture design certification course mm. at Zaytuna College. Mm. And they now want to have this be a regular feature um, offered at the college. So it was just, 
it was just really funny that I've, I've returned yeah. back to where this whole thing started. And uh, I thought that was, that was really great. And it was funny because I talked to um, uh, one of the people who are, who's heading up a, a new school that's been started uh, under the umbrella of the college called the Zaytuna College Center for Ethical Living and Learning. Wow. And it's headed up by uh, a brother named uh, Imam Daoud Yassin, who's uh, another old friend. And it's funny, we, we were just laughing because we, we remember talking about doing something like this back in the summer of 2008, because he was actually one of, the, one of the teachers at that Arabic intensive. And, um, and it's just sort of come full circle. It's come through well. I mean, I, I know, <clears throat> Ramis, that you've said that you've given a disclaimer. People should not follow your, your um, methodology of coming out of their work and going into something that they love, their passion. Because maybe there is a different way. But may I ask, just in terms of for people who are listening, when you did go, yep, I want to go to Australia and learn, you had no safety net. Did you have a job or you did? No, at, at that point, I had, um, I had stopped working. I had, um, it's, it's, okay, well, this is, this is, yeah, this is another funny part of the story. Um, my wife was six months pregnant <gasps> with our, our youngest our youngest side, our, young, our youngest child, and we already had three daughters. Oh my goodness! And we're living in East Oakland, California. Uh, and I'm, I'm, and we're we're trying to decide whether or not we're going to stay in California to have the baby. <clears throat> excuse me, or if we're going to go to England for a while, to just live close to family, live close to my wife's family. <clears throat> um. And, and I can sort of go off and, and do, uh, you know, whatever it is I, I, I had planned on doing and trying to kind of hustle and, and figure out, you know, the next thing. So within about a month of trying to figure out what we were going to do, um, my house got broken into, my car got stolen. Oh. And... Um, and at that point, I was like, okay, well, I think maybe this is a sign we're supposed to leave, oh. right, just, just for a time. So, uh, so we, we, we went ahead and said, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna leave and uh, packed up the house. Uh, I had already made the decision I was going to go to Australia, so I booked my tickets. Um, you know, we had, had, had made arrangements for my family to be taken care of, and, and they were going to fly back to England while I went to Australia. So uh, I, I get to Australia, and uh, I believe probably within a day of getting there, I get a, a contact from a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco, just across the bay. And he asked me, hey, did you hear what happened in Oakland? I was like, no, nah, I, you know, I, um, I just arrived in Australia at a farm. I said, what happened? He said, um, five police officers were shot in Oakland. And I was like, I was like really he said yeah i said where did it happen and he told me the part of town where it happened and i thought about it for a minute and i said wait a minute that's that's about eight blocks from my house and i would have and if i was home i would have heard the shots mm. right so at, at that point um you know that was sort of the confirmation that you know, the, the right decision was made in getting my family out of there and me going off and doing this. And, um, 
And I think seeing what's come from, you know, making that decision and deciding to make that move, uh, it's, you know, I don't, I don't think it was a half bad, no. you know, half bad course of action. No, no, no. I mean, so, for starters, hold on, Remy, for starters, your car got broken in, your house got broken in, you, your wife was six months pregnant with your last little baby, and you don't have anything security net, no job to fall under, to fall back onto. You book your ticket to Australia, you get to Australia, you know that this is, are you going by, like, like just to be really, like, getting really in tune here, do you go by intuition? Like, is that what, like, literally, if we had to break it down, is intuition kind of pulling you, just getting really just silent? Or is it like you do it unconsciously? Or like, because really, like, if you were looking factually, like, boom, 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 there's a lot of scary stuff that's happening. But what is it that yeah. kind of even going beyond that? Well, I, I think there, there's, there's a certain element of intuition. I, you know, I think there's a certain degree of faith. Mm. Um, and, and I think there's also an element of, of you know, taking calculated risks um and i I think there's also just the realization that uh you can't allow yourself to be um ruled by fear Mm. i mean there's 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 being cautious Mm. and trying to be smart and then i think there's also you know trying to do that to a fault and I think sometimes what happens is when that becomes the order of the overriding factor in how you go about living your life, um, your world gets very small and your options get, become very narrow. Mm. And, I, and I could kind of see that happening um, for me in that I was, I started thinking in, in very, I think in a very limited way mm. and I think at one point I, 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 I made the decision that, you know, I kind of realized that maybe part of my problem was that I wasn't allowing myself to think big enough. I wasn't allowing myself to entertain other possibilities outside of, you know, the relatively narrow um, bandwidth of choices that at that time I was thinking uh, were possible for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the moment I started thinking a little bigger and outside of that envelope that I, you know, that I had been <coughs> confining myself to, that's when things started happening. Okay. Okay. Is, th- is, is when I allowed myself to think outside of the box, to use a very oft um, repeated cliche, <laughs> that's when things started happening. Mm. And, I, and I think that realization that you know, part of our problem is is that I think too many of us, um, too many of us are are tricked into thinking that we we only have but so many options available. It's sort of like the tyranny. It's, it's what um, I remember hearing this phrase. Uh, someone had had, uh, had 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 said at at one point. He said, "It's you know." this idea of being ruled by the tyranny of low expectations. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I, and I remember just being sort of being able to think objectively enough and, uh, and, and being as sort of, uh, 
uh, not not to say passionless, <coughs> but not um, you know not really not not emotional, mm. but not overly invested mm-hmm. in 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 any single um, you know like one particular option that I wanted to look at at all of the, the possibilities. Okay. And just start, you know, start poking around. Mm, 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 mm. And and that that's 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 kind of how I, I went about, you know, went about doing things. But I also think, Reverend Brother Moses, what you're saying is, I love what you just said. That ruled by the tyranny of low expectations. I, I love that. What when you actually went into permaculture, what I believe really pulled you is you could really see your contribution it's a direct contribution that you're making to the land to the people whereas for mechanical engineering there was a more delayed would that be true if there was anything there's a delayed contribution well i I think you know part of the problem with like there's a there's a like there's the the acceptance of a certain paradigm Mm -hmm. you know a certain way of you know, kind of rendering the world or thinking about the world, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, that at, at some point, I think if we, if we're aware of ourselves and, and we're, you know, aware of the world around us, at some point you have, you start to question, you know, whether or not this makes a lot of sense mm. or whether or not it has really any legitimacy mm. or whether or not, or whether or not there are other possibilities and, and, that those other possibilities may actually be better, mm. you know, but you won't really know unless you allow yourself to think in, in ways that, you know, we, we by and large haven't been trained or conditioned to, you know, to, to, to think in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we, we, we believe that there are only but so many possibilities out there for us. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think it's just you know sometimes you have to allow yourself to entertain some other possibilities, mm. you know. And, and 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 you know I got to the point where I really couldn't think of any job mm. or any vocation at the time that seemed to be um, that seemed to speak to the, the person that I thought I was or the, or the person that I thought I wanted to be. Mm. So in, in, in a way, I, 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 was, I started making attempt, I started making an attempt to actually sort of create, you know, that job, you know, to, to like, as you said, to carve out that niche, mm. you know, to construct that niche. And so I knew I wanted, you know, there was a little bit of this and there was a piece of that and there was some some aspect of this other thing and it, and it was just a matter of kind of recombining those elements in, in maybe different ways that, that then you know what we you know see at present you know i just thought there was a, another way of going about doing things well i find that really uh, intriguing brother ramis because simply because you went through a traditional code of learning and lifestyle and then like mechanical engineering, going to school, going to university, getting a good job, mechanical engineer, being a school teacher, and then going into a world where there is no one has really gone before you to have created what you have. Really, I mean, there have been teachers, but no one to create what you wanted to do as an industry. 
And then to do it with, and to put all of your chips in, so to speak, like there was no, if it doesn't work out, well, I've got this. There was, you didn't have that. I mean, you had your profession and your expertise, but really you had given that up as you had gone through those different jobs and sales and working on a boat and all that kind of jazz. But you had really given, and I find that very intriguing from the background that you were in, because when people really traditionally go through a schooling system, it's much harder to do what you've done because of that, well, no one else is doing it. Well, what if I don't, what if? I, but really what's really pulled you through is your mindset of, being not being ruled by the tyranny of low expectations. I just, is that from like your parents? Is that who you're getting this mindset switch from? Well, I, I, well, I think there's, there's certainly, an, I think an aspect of it that was, that I think was pulled from the experience of my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, my, you know, my mother was, you know, she, again, as I said, I, she, you know, she worked at a, as a teacher for over 30 years. Um, you know, a, a, a good job that took care of me and, you know, that really took care of me and her, mm-hmm. you know, my, my father was, my father was a, you know, I think was a fellow seeker, <laughs> um, who I think was, was sort of just beginning to, I think, hone in on the things that he, that he saw were, were for him or the things he thought were, um, of interest mm-hmm. and this was right just before he he passed away mm-hmm. so you know my father my father died in a car accident when I was 19 oh. and so and and I think that was a that was sort of a seminal moment for me because I I was just with him I was I was with him two days uh before the accident happened mm-hmm. so it was it I think that was kind of this first real uh experience where you are staring mortality mm. you know in the face and you know and he was and he was the person that i felt you know closest to he was you know, i think i considered him my you know aside from my father he was like my my friend he was like my closest friend mm. so that was a um i think that experience also um created a kind of resolve mm. where again i didn't want to be in a position to where I didn't try things mm. that I thought I should, I should try, mm. you know, or, I, or, you know, I didn't attempt things that I thought were worthy of making an attempt. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, my mom was actually quite, you know, she's real kind of steady. I don't want to say safe because she also, I think, took some risk, especially considering, you know, her background, you know, where she came from. Uh, so, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, testing of the waters and, and questioning yourself and being willing to, uh, yeah, I mean, being, being, being willing to, to sort of iterate through this process of, of, of uh, what you see as being possible for you or what you consider to be a good idea uh, or what other people consider to be a good idea. Mm. You know, or, or what what they think is for you. Nice. So there's there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of iterating through different you know different possibilities. Okay. And 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 I think you know ultimately what I think led me to to Islam, for instance. And after kind of entering into that, I think it also that also opened my my mind up 
uh, in my heart up, um, you know, to a number of other ways of, of seeing the world. And, and I think there's a certain amount of sort of fear that had been lifted or taken away. And, and I think that, and I think that has informed how I've gone about doing things. So I think one of, one of, one of the, I'm sorry. What do you mean by lifted some fear? What fear did it lift? Well, I, I think, I think part of, part of one of the big fears is that, um, you won't get the things that you need. Mm. Ah. Right. Scarcity. That, 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 yeah, that, uh, that you won't be provided for. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, so we know in Islam, there's this, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, we're told is that, you know, it says that, 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 uh, that Allah, uh, that God guarantees your provision, mm. but that, but that shaitan, that, that, you know, Iblis, he threatens you with poverty. Yeah. Right. So, so in a way you're thinking, okay, well, what are you going to listen to? Are you going to respond to the promise mm. or are you going to be ruled by the threat? Mm. right so that was something that really you know was 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 poking me in the head was this the promise versus the threat mm. you know and which and which one's going to take precedence and then also you know arguably what's what you know what what's arguably my, my favorite hadith or one of them it's the you know the hadith Qudsi where the prophet said that Allah says I am in the opinion of my slave. Mm. I'm whatever he thinks I am. Right? Mm. And so if you think that, you know, it's all scarce, you know, and that, you know, I'm, it's, you know, it's, it's all bad, mm. then that's what you're going to see. That's what you're going to find. But if you think, you know, but if you, if you think otherwise, if you think it's all good and I'm going to take care of you, and then, you know, you got nothing to worry about. So, um, yeah, so, I, you know, that, so I think that that realization, um, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about allowing yourself to think big enough, mm. you know, one of the things that had occurred to me, thinking in hindsight, was, you know, that problem of thinking too small. Mm. And, and and why things weren't necessarily happening for you when you think too small. Mm. And, and, and I remember the, the thought that, 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 you know, kind of hit me right, you know, right, you know, right in the, in the chest is this idea that God's not a miser. Allah is not a miser. So if Allah is not a miser, why would he give you something small when he could give you something much greater? Wow. You just have to allow yourself to, to, to be open to that possibility. So um, that's also been something that has, I think, informed my decision-making is just um, allowing yourself to think big and then having the patience to let things unfold. And if, you know, and if that, whatever it is that you're thinking about, you know, this big thing you're thinking about is supposed to happen, then it will come in time. Inshallah. The only thing you have to, and the holy, the only thing you have to do is be patient. Mm. And if you don't, and if you don't get that thing, then there's something else better for you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, brother Ramis. If someone's listening to you right now and they want to be able to contact you for consulting or what kind of certifications you provide, or simply learn, where can they get more information or be able to contact you? 
Well, I've, um, I now have my website up and running, uh, thankfully, after um, very kind of protracted, unnecessarily <laughs> protracted development. Um, I, you can get me at my website. It's ramiskentants.com. So literally it's R-H-A-M-I-S-K-E-N-T-A-N-T-S.com. Ramis Kent ants.com that's my website Excellent. or or you can reach me at my uh, just at my email it's ramis at permaculture.org.au fantastic fantastic and before we wrap it up brother ramis um are you a hustler like there is there uh, uh, a hustler like there is a tradition of go 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 give 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 more 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 are you into that um not necessarily um i i think there's certainly an element of you know not being afraid to work hard mm -hmm. but i think there's a there's a there's sort of a connotation to hustling that is 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 problematic Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, there's a American historian named Morris Berman, mm -hmm. who's written a number of books, um, about what he sees as being sort of the downfall of the United States. It's called, he's written a trilogy under the title Dark Ages of America. Uh -huh. And one of the things that he's, he's talked about is sort of the central character, uh, that defines what America is. And he says that America is a, is a nation of hustlers. And, and when he says that America is a nation of hustlers, he, does, he, he doesn't mean simply people that, you know, kind of down and work hard and, and sort of grind it out. He's talking about also people that um, don't have any reservations um, about you know, doing, d doing some things that probably shouldn't be done in an effort to get over, so to speak. Oh, okay. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm not a proponent of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think there's certainly, um, there's a certain code of ethics mm -hmm. and there's a certain um, set of principles that, that, that I think informs or should inform what we do. Mm -hmm. So in, in that, in that sense, I don't see myself as a hustler as opposed to someone who has an, an abiding belief that um, it's worth it's worth sticking to your guns and and actually trying to do the right thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or trying to do the right thing. That that actually being very intentional in in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and that the the abiding by that principle of of wanting to do the greatest good mm -hmm. for the you know for the for the greatest number of 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 people or for again trying to do things that have the the as, as broad a benefit as possible is worth doing even though it might be inconvenient sometimes mm. so um that that's what I that's what I believe in. Mm. So uh, and 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 I think that's what what guides me. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, brother Ramis, I want to just say thank you very much 
for taking the time. It's now 2.30 a.m. in Spain. <laughs> for taking the time to meet with us and tell us about what permaculture is, your transition into this industry called permaculture and you heading, being the headway towards that. Just thank you so much for that insight that you've shared and shedding the light of you know the changes and contributions you're making that we can also contribute if we just follow our passion as well. So thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me on. I really enjoyed this and uh, hopefully we'll talk again sometime in the not too distant future. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you on the very next episode.